Open your Bible, if you would, to Revelation chapter 13. And then buckle your seatbelt. Someone has said that imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Have you ever heard that? Imitation is the sincerest form of flattery. Some imitation, though, is illegal. Like, I don't recommend this afternoon that you go home and put a blue light on your car and put a uniform on and start pulling people over on 17. Not that some of them don't need to be pulled over on 17. But that type of imitation is illegal. Now, we also have a place in this town called Legends in Concert where people make a living pretending to be somebody they're not. They're imitators. They're impersonators. I've shared this story before, but it, it, it just fits with the message. So most of you have never heard about my watch. One of the places that I have spoken a number of times is in San Diego. And for some reason, we'll get to San Diego, and we've got to drive across the border into Tijuana. And uh, in Tijuana, I found this little corner store, and I like watches. So I just kind of fixed on this watch, and they had, they had Rolex watches in Tijuana. And so I sat there kind of bartering with this guy. I don't know, it started out at like $100, which I thought, I'm getting a deal, man, on a Rolex watch. I'm going to take this back to the United States. I could just start doing this, making a living. And I started bartering with the guy because they're kind of offended if you don't barter with them. But I think I finally offended him because he finally looked at me and he said, Sir, and I knew it wasn't a real Rolex, all right? As soon as you hold it, it, it doesn't weigh enough. You know, it's spelled R-O-L-A-I-D-S. I mean, that's a dead giveaway, all right? I'm kidding about that. It's t it has Rolex on here, but you know it's not a real Rolex. But I think, you know, I knew I was buying a fake, all right? But I still wanted it. I think I got him down to like $7 and a bottle of vanilla, okay? But he looked at me. He was kind of offended, and he said, Sir, it is a genuine replica. And I thought, what? A genuine replica, what does that mean? That means it's a really good fake. Well, some fakes are harmless. I've also spent some time in the Ukraine, and I noticed a lot of American goods over there until I started observing them a little bit more detailed and realized that didn't come from the Adidas factory. And I found out that's, that's produced in Turkey. It's kind of knockoff goods. You can get them cheap over there. Albums. And yes, when I was in Ukraine, they still had Album. Some of you are going, what's an album? Just imagine a really large CD, okay, made out of vinyl. And they were packed in the stores. They still sell those over there, but they're fakes. They're just, somebody got a copy of a recording and produced their own album. You could tell by the album cover. I'm like, that doesn't look quite right. Something's up here. This morning, we're going to look at an imitation, and it's a dangerous, deceptive imitation. I'm going to begin reading in verse 1 of chapter 13. We're going to see, and I really want you to get these three deceivers that you're going to be introduced to this morning. Verse 1 of chapter 13. And the dragon stood on the sand of the seashore. Then I saw a beast coming up out of the sea, having ten horns and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. And the beast which I saw was like a leopard, and his feet were like those of a bear, and his mouth like the mouth of a lion. And the dragon gave him his power and his throne and great authority. I saw one of his heads as if it had been slain, and his fatal wound was healed. And the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. 
And they worshipped the dragon because of his authority. Because he gave his authority to the beast. And they worshipped the beast saying, Who is like the beast and who is able to wage war with him? There was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. And he opened his mouth in blasphemies against God to blaspheme his name and his tabernacle, that is, those who dwell in heaven. It was also given to him to make war with the saints and overcome them, and authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. All who dwell on the earth will worship him, everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world in the book of, of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. Here is the perseverance and the faith of the saints. If you're here for the first Sunday and you're thinking, wait a minute, how in the world did we get to this? <laughs> We've been looking at the book of Revelation. And just to back up briefly, Revelation chapter 1, we see John, the one whom Jesus loved, the disciple, John. Towards the end of his life, he's about 90 years old. He's banished to a prison island called Patmos. He has a vision. Jesus speaks to him. And one of the things he's told is, write down everything you see. And so John has seen a lot. Last week, we ended chapter 12, and I really want to pick up there. Keep in mind, when you read the New Testament, when it was written, when John wrote this, he didn't write chapter 12 and end and say, okay, now verse 1 of chapter 13. In fact, most scholars believe that chapter 13 really begins with verse 18 of chapter 12, and I'll show you why. Because in chapter 12, it talks about the dragon. The dragon's been defeated in chapter 12. The dragon, by the way, is Satan or the devil. When you see the word dragon, that's who it's talking about. In fact, what does the word dragon mean? It means this. It means fabulous serpent. Well, where does that come from? From the very beginning. Genesis. When Adam and Eve in the garden, they're tempted by who? They're tempted by Satan, but what form did he come in? A snake. Now, what do snakes look like in Genesis? Before the curse, they walked. After the curse, part of the curse of the serpent or the snake was, had to crawl on his belly the rest of his life. Or not just his life, but serpents now crawl on their bellies. And so the dragon, before a curse, would have been walking kind of like a big reptile. And so that's been Satan's kind of M.O. from the very beginning, from Genesis. And so that's who the dragon is. But the dragon has been cast out of heaven. And yes, that happened a long time ago, but Satan still had access to heaven. You say, what does that mean? Well, like when Satan used to come and accuse God before Job or Job before God. He came, you remember in Job, he says... Uh, uh, the only reason Job likes you, God, the only reason Job serves you and loves you is because you've blessed him. You take away the blessings, he'll curse your name. God allowed him a certain amount of time and a certain amount of power to curse, curse Job, and Job never cursed God's name. And so uh, he, he had access for a while, but we see in chapter 12 of Revelation that he's now been cast out of heaven. He, he's cast to earth, and here's the problem. He's brought the full fury of his wrath to earth. In fact, one of the things we looked at last week is this. Satan knows his time is short. If you know your time is short, what do you do? You go all out. Fourth quarter press. You're on the one-yard line. 
problem is you're on the wrong one-yard line. And Satan's doom is sure, and his time is short, and so he goes out in a blaze. So that's where we see him in chapter 13, verse 1. And I, the reason I tell you that is some of your translations say, I stood on the seashore talking about John. The problem is, the word is, he stood. The question is, who's he? Is it talking about John standing on the seashore? Or is it talking about the dragon? I believe coming out of verse 17 of chapter 12, it's Satan that stands on the seashore. And here is his plan. He brings this beast up from the abyss, out of the sea. The beast. Who's this first beast? The first beast is the Antichrist. Now, I've come up with names for these two beasts. When I was studying this week, it just kind of reminded me of the old Dr. Seuss cartoon, Thing 1 and Thing 2. That's what we're looking at today, all right? Thing 1 and Thing 2. There's two beasts. The first one we're going to look at right now is the Antichrist. We'll introduce you to Thing 2 in a few minutes. But the word beast means dangerous animal, ferocious animal, one that wants to devour you. Now, earlier in Revelation, we, we hear about these living creatures around the throne. Those are not beasts. Those are not dangerous animals. They're simply living creatures that are around the throne of God. But in this case, Satan's going into full court press. And in chapter 13, verse 1, we see his first plan of action, and that is the Antichrist. What does Antichrist mean? It means the opposite of Christ. It means one who opposes, one who is against Christ. And a lot of what you're going to see about the Antichrist is a mirror of Jesus. The problem is when you look in a mirror, you're, kind of, you're seeing a reflection, but it's kind of the opposite. Okay? And that's what you're going to see in this passage. So as he arises, John sees, first thing he sees are that he has ten horns. Very similar to back earlier in Revelation, the description of Jesus. He had ten horns. The ten horns represent the ten nations that have political and military power at the end of time. These ten nations have formed a coalition, and they're being led by the Antichrist. The next thing he notices is he has seven heads, and on those seven heads are seven crowns or diadems, an indication of royalty. Those seven heads indicate the world empires up to that time. You go back from the dawn of creation to the empires. There's been seven great empires leading up to the end time. And on those heads are blasphemous names. What does that mean? Well, even during the time of Christ, the emperors of Rome would take upon themselves divine titles. Herod, for example, if you remember right after the birth of Christ, when Jesus was a matter of a few months old, the wise men come from the east. Remember that? Who are they looking for? Jesus. But what is the title they say to Herod? The king of the Jews. We're looking for he who's been born the king of the Jews. Well, guess what? Herod had been calling himself the king of the Jews because he was the ruler over the Jewish people. He had taken on the title king of the Jews. That's blasphemy. Folks, that's exalting yourself to the place of God. One of the ways you blaspheme God is to make little of him and much of you. And so they're given these blasphemous names. So I just think the names of God are written on these heads. Why is that so? It's because he's trying to deceive people to following him. And in the midst of chaos, you go back. I know if you're here for the first Sunday of Revelation, you go back and read what's been happening. 
the world has been wiped out. The part of the sun is darkened. Some of the sky, some of the moon has become dark. Some of the stars have fallen. The world is in famine. There's no water to drink. And it's going to get worse. But in the midst of chaos, what will the world look for? They're going to look for a leader. They're going to look for somebody that's got the answers, somebody that can take them out of the position they're in. And on the scene, we enter the Antichrist. The dragon gives him power. Let me, let me finish his description. On his head are these blasphemous names. He looks like a leopard. His feet are like a bear. And he has the mouth of a lion. Just jot down Daniel chapter 7, verses 3 through 7. We're not going to turn there. A lot of parallels between Revelation and Daniel. And the beast that is described in Daniel is this beast. Looks like a leopard. Has feet like a bear. Mouth like a lion. And one particular important thing about lions. What do lions do with their mouth? Two things. One, they eat. They have sharp teeth. Don't stick your head in the mouth of a lion. I know there's people called lion tamers that do that. That doesn't always work out well. Do not try this at home. The other things lion do, lions do is what? Roar. They roar. And one of the things the Antichrist is going to do is roar. Kind of like a bully. <laughs> Speaking arrogant words. The lion, he's going to roar like a lion. He's been given authority by the dragon. And he's, one of his heads is going to look like he's been slain. In fact, it looks like he has a mortal wound that he's recovered from. Who is that copying? Jesus. The Antichrist is trying to look like Jesus. Jesus was crucified. He had a wound in his side, his feet, his hands, his head. Did he stay dead? No. He rose from the dead. Now, has the Antichrist risen from the dead? No, he just wants to fake people out to think he has. So that it makes him look more powerful, more majestic, more worthy of their praise. Because that's what he's all about. He's trying to get the praise of the people. In fact, it says the whole earth is amazed and followed after the beast. Literally, the whole earth admires. The whole earth stands staring at the Antichrist with their mouth wide open. And it's very reminiscent of some of the followers of Jesus during his earthly ministry. Jesus performed miracles, and a lot of people followed him because of the miracles. And one of the reasons Jesus did, didn't do as many miracles as he could have is he didn't want people following him just because they saw signs and wonders. In fact, he asked one group, are you following me just because I fed you? And yet, that's exactly, that's all the Antichrist has. There's no substance there, so he's got to be real heavy on style. And so he's going to do these miraculous signs so that he can get people to follow him. In fact, look at their worship. You're going to see the word worship several times in this passage. I've already told folks that have been here, worship is the Greek word proskuneo. It means to kiss towards. Who is worthy of our worship? Jesus and him only. But the Antichrist is going to try to receive worship and even deflect that worship to the dragon. And people are going to worship him. The very people that God has given chance after chance after chance in the book of Revelation. Toward the end times, these last three and a half years of the 
great tribulation. There's still an offer given by a merciful God to repent. We're even going to see evidence of it with the angels that we'll see at the end of the message. And yet they don't repent. They don't worship the true God. But they worship hook, line, and sinker. This false Christ. And here's what they say. Who is like the beast? Well, nobody wants to be like the beast. The beast is a ferocious animal that wants to eat you. But they worship the beast. Who is able to wage war against the beast? Hello. War's already taken place. Go back and read chapter 12. What happened? I love the way it's so simple in Scripture. But it says the dragon waged war against Michael and the archangels. And the next line is, and they weren't strong enough. They were defeated by Michael and the archangels. They're defeated. And the other angels. They're defeated because they're not strong enough. And what happened to them? They got cast to earth. They have no place, no influence in heaven anymore. And so they're pouring out all their wrath, all their deception on earth. And so the Antichrist rises. And you'll notice several times it's been given to him. It's been given to him. One thing that's given to him is a mouth that is able to speak these arrogant words. I've taught you another Greek word, and I'll teach those of you a Greek word this morning. It's the word megas. You see it a lot in Revelation. Megas. What does it sound like? Mega. That's what it means. It means big or it means loud. And so it's given him a mouth to speak these big words. <laughs> you ever been around a bully? Ever been around people that all they do is toot their own horn? That's what we're dealing with here. We're dealing with a guy who's been defeated at the cross. His leader, the dragon, has been cast out of heaven. The Antichrist has been cast out of heaven. Will spend eternity separated from God. And all he's got left is a loud roar. Big words. Puffing himself up. Here's the problem. People believe it. People will follow this smooth-talking antichrist, this beast who is dangerous. And he opens his mouth to speak blasphemies against God. But don't miss this. How long's he got? He's got 42 months. He's got three and a half years. What does that mean? God's still in control. God has said for a short time, I'm giving you some freedom. You got three and a half years. And he's pulling out all the stops. But folks, here's what's coming. At the end of three and a half years, Jesus returns. The dragon, the thing one and thing two are cast into hell. And that's where they will spend eternity. We'll see them toward the end of Revelation when they get one, fat, one last little fanfare. But they'll spend eternity separated from God. Why? Because they wouldn't worship God. You know one thing they will have to do? Philippians 2 tells us that there's coming a day when every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. You know who that includes? The dragon and thing one and thing two are going to have to acknowledge what they will not acknowledge now. And that is that Jesus Christ is Lord. God gives him a little bit of power to make war against the saints. And it says he overcame them, literally to subdue them. But be careful, how does he overcome them? Physically. There will be some saints during the great tribulation because of the witness that will be on earth. And we'll talk about that in a little bit. There will be some people that come to Christ, but they will lose their life. They will be, be martyred. But what did it say back in Revelation chapter 12? 
the one we looked at last week. It says the martyrs overcame the enemy because of the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. They did not love life even when faced with death. So these martyrs willingly said, we love God more than we do life here. And so Satan and the Antichrist will have the power to take their life. But they can't be touched spiritually. So they overcome them. And Satan thinks he's won, but he hasn't. He's given authority over every tribe, people, tongue, and nation. Again, just a, a phrase in the, in the book of Revelation that means the unbelieving Gentiles that are left on earth. And all who dwell on earth will worship him. So all those that have rejected God will choose to worship the enemy, Satan, who's got nothing for him but a loud roar, a big bark, big words, big talk. And these are the people whose names are not written in the Lamb's book of life. They're ones who will spend eternity separated from God because they didn't worship the Lamb who was slain. They've chosen to worship the Antichrist. Let, let me just share with you from Second uh, Thessalonians. These words are on the screen. Second Th Thessalonians chapter 2. This is Paul writing to the church in Thessalonica. And here's what he says. Let no one in any way deceive you. What's the Antichrist going to try to do? And thing number two is going to try to do the same thing? Deceive you. For it will not come unless the apostasy comes first and the man of lawlessness is revealed. In other words, the second coming of Jesus, the return of Christ, isn't going to happen until the man of lawlessness, the Antichrist, is revealed. The son of destruction who opposes and exalts himself above every so-called God or object of worship so that he makes his seat in the temple of God displaying himself as being God. One of the things the Antichrist is going to do at the end of time is to go sit in the temple in a place reserved for God, to worship God. And he's going to set himself up as the one to be worshipped there. Let's look at thing two. Thing one is the Antichrist. Verse 11. Then I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. He exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. He performs great signs so that he even makes the fire come down out of heaven and to the earth in the presence of men, and he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which was given him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth to make an image to the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And it was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast so that the image of the beast would even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, the small, the great, the rich, the poor, the free man, and the slaves to be given a mark on their right hand and on their forehead. And he provides that no one will be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding calculate the number of the beast. For the number is that of a man, and his number is 666. So we've seen the dragon, Satan. We've seen thing number one, the Antichrist. Now we're introduced to thing number two, who comes up out of the earth. He has two horns like a lamb. The interesting thing is he looks like a lamb. But who does he talk like? The dragon. Why? Because he's not the lamb. He's a fake. He's a fraud. This is the false prophet. And this forms eventually 
We'll get to it in a minute, but I'll go ahead and tell you, this is the unholy trinity. In the same way that we have the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, Satan wants to imitate by deception. He wants to deceive you by imitation. And so he has created the false, unholy trinity. you got Satan, the Antichrist, and the false prophet. And the false prophet role is to bring worship back to the Antichrist and to the dragon. He exercises the authority of the first beast. He comes up out of the earth. He speaks as a dragon. And he, he obeys the chain of authority. He, he acts on their authority. And he makes all the earth. He leads, he's a worship leader. He leads them to worship thing number one and the dragon. And then he can do these incredible signs. He performs great signs. In other words, this indication, he, he copies some of the signs of the Old Testament prophets. He copies some of the signs of Jesus. And more recently, from Revelation chapter 10, those two witnesses, they're able to call down plagues from heaven. This false prophet does the same thing. He calls down signs. And what does the world do that doesn't trust Christ? They don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ. So what do they do? They just, wow, that's amazing. He, he must be all-powerful. Look what he's doing. What's he doing? He's just acting like a magician. And one of the funny things of the passage, if you could find humor in this, he makes them create an idol. And he wants the idol to look like thing number one that has the head with the mortal wound that he rose from. And then power is given to him to give breath. And here, I love the word breath because it's not the word life. This idol does not come to life. The idol merely appears to speak. He kind of creates this animatronic idol. <laughs> he animates the idol so that the idol can speak. And the people fall down and worship. And he causes everybody to get this mark. Again, what's he copying? Well, if you go back to earlier parts of Revelation, these 144,000 Jewish evangelists that are on earth at that time have the mark of God for their, for their protection. Well, why does he pick the forehead or the right arm? In Jewish culture, they wore these things called phylacteries. In fact, if you go to the Holy Land today, you go to the Western Wall where they pray, they're going to wear phylacteries. It's this leather strap with a box that has portions of Scripture in it. And they'll either wear it around their head so that the box is here, or they'll wear it. And I've seen some of them, they make it so tight, it's like it's cutting the blood off. But they pray at the Western Wall. What are they praying for? One of the things they're praying for is the restoration of the temple so they can worship God there. And so in a mockery of this Old Testament law, this Old Testament command of God to bind the word around their foreheads or around their arms, the false prophet tells them to have a mark placed there. And if you don't have the mark, you can't eat because you can't buy any food. And you will ultimately die. You'll either die of starvation, which was already happening, or they'll kill you because you don't do what they ask you to do. Bow down and worship this image, reminiscent of, Dan of uh, Nebuchadnezzar with Daniel. And if you don't bow down and worship the image, you'll be put to death. And it says to calculate this number. Now, folks, people have been doing that for centuries. <laughs> that number has been associated with everybody from Adolf Hitler to uh, Ronald Reagan. Seriously. In my lifetime, people will figure out, and I, I've had people come up to me and say, hey, I've calculated numbers from the Bible. I figured this whole thing out. And I look at their numbers and I say, it doesn't make any sense. 
And yet he's telling people that are alive at that time that you'll be able to calculate this number, this 666. You'll be able to figure out who this Antichrist is. Well, enough of the bad news. Let's end this morning on a high note, okay? Let's end this morning on a high note. Revelation chapter 14. I'm just going to read the first few verses. New vision. Then I looked, and behold, the Lamb was standing on Mount Zion. The reason I want to get to chapter 14 is you read chapter 13 and you think, man, that's bad. Yes, it's bad. But, folks, the power of the enemy is limited, and God has a plan that Satan cannot thwart. Behold, the Lamb standing on Mount Zion, and with him 144,000, having his name and the name of his Father written on their foreheads. And I heard a voice from heaven like the sound of many waters, and like the sound of thunder. And the voice which I heard was like the sound of harpists playing on their harps. And they sang a new song before the throne and before the four living creatures and the elders. And no one could learn the song except the 144,000 who had been purchased from the earth. These are the ones who have not been defiled with women, for they have kept themselves chaste. These are the ones who follow the Lamb wherever He goes. These have been purchased from among men as first fruits to God and to the Lamb. And no lie was found in their mouth. They are blameless. And I saw another angel flying in mid-heaven, having an eternal gospel to preach to those who live on the earth and to every nation and tribe and tongue and people. And He said with a loud voice, Fear God and give Him glory. Because the hour of judgment has come. Worship him who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and the springs of waters. This next vision, when does it occur and where is it? You read commentaries and some of them want to say Mount Zion is just talking about spiritual things in heaven. I think he's talking about Mount Zion on earth. But does it follow right on the heels of chapter 13? I think it's culminated with the return of Christ. He's come back. Who are these 144,000? They're the ones that were, we were introduced to early in Revelation. They've been Jewish evangelists. Not just evangelizing Jews, but Gentiles have been given the opportunity to respond to the gospel. They had a mark on them. Nobody could kill them. And now they've been called up to be with Jesus. Why? Because their work on earth is finished. Then we see this angel, another angel flying in mid-heaven. And he's saying with a loud voice, he's preaching the gospel. And what is he telling people? Fear God. Give Him glory. Worship Him. Why? Because the hour of judgment has come. So this angel that flies in mid-heaven, he can't be touched anymore by Satan. Why? Because Satan's been kicked out of heaven. He's bound to earth now, and ultimately he's going to be bound to hell. But he's able to fly and proclaim loudly, the hour of judgment has come. And the bottom line thing he says is this, worship Jesus only. One last chance, one more opportunity for mercy to not receive what you deserve. What did the people on earth deserve? They've been worshiping the enemy. They deserve death, and yet God gives them one last chance. But folks, it's the same chance that you and I were given, and that is to respond to the gospel. What's the message? The word gospel that is mentioned here is simply this. It's good news. What's the good news? The good news is, even though I was born a sinner, even though I was separated from God, I deserve to die as punishment for my sin. Here's the good news. Jesus Christ has come. Jesus Christ lived a perfect life. 
was crucified on the cross, paid the penalty for my sin. And by me placing my faith in him, trusting him as my Lord and Savior, I get something I don't deserve. I get grace. Folks, that's good news. That is the gospel message. And now's the time to respond to it. Bow your heads and pray with me as we close. Students and adults, while your heads are bowed and your eyes are closed, I just want to ask you, have you ever responded to the gospel? I've had people ask me that before. How many people responded to the gospel? You know what the answer is? All of them. You all respond to the gospel one way or another. If you've heard the truth of Jesus Christ, your response may be to reject him. When he, when he walked the face of the earth and ministered for three years, there were people that rejected him then. There will be people in the book of Revelation we see that will reject the good news of the gospel. But there's another response, and that is to receive him as Lord and Savior. To acknowledge that, yes, I'm a sinner. And I'm desperately needy for a Savior. To acknowledge that Jesus Christ died on the cross to pay the penalty for your sin. And by trusting in him, you could have everlasting life. Father, I pray for men and women in this place this morning. God, Revelation chapter 13 is a hard chapter. It's, it's not good. And yet, God, you're a God of mercy. You don't give us what we deserve. Time and time again, you have offered peace and hope. You've offered life. God, I pray for anyone in this place that doesn't know you, that today they would choose life. God, for those of us that do know you, may we be the evangelists of this generation to simply tell other people about you. Because the hour is approaching. The day of final judgment is coming. We catch a glimpse of it in Revelation, the end of the book. God, we know that your plan will not be thwarted. The enemy will flex muscles for a brief time, but his time is limited. One day it will all be over. And what's going to matter is what we've done with Jesus. So I pray today would be the day of salvation. In fact, for those who are here that know you, I pray today would be a day of comfort. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to invite you just to stand.